That's what I would do. Question number three, at what age should you stop physical punishment? Now, uh, we'll talk about this in detail in, in a few weeks. Um, you know, spanking is a biblical method of discipline for young children, and, but wise parents, they, they use a lot of methods of, of discipline. If, if your uh, repertoire of, of parental discipline only includes spanking, you know, that's not very wise. Um, what I, I would suggest, somewhere between 8 and 12, depending on, on, on the kid. I mean, what 11 or 12-year-old uh, wouldn't take uh, a spanking that lasts a few seconds to do what they want for a few hours? And the whole dis- point of discipline is to modify behavior or thinking or, or attitude. And, you know, that's just really, really ineffective. Uh, and the only reason I took this question, uh, because it's really for later, is because I want to say again, you have to start where you are. You know, if your children are older and they have been undisciplined, don't just, you know, come out of the gate swinging. You know, don't do that. You know, start where you are. Be, be honest about where you are. And if you haven't disciplined them well at this point, you know, uh, start wisely. Don't just come out of the gate swinging. You know, and again, I just simply really am being very clear. Don't start spanking your 12-year-old because the Bible teaches appropriate discipline if you've left them undisciplined for 12 years. You know, start where you are. And because uh, remember, uh, it takes more than love and good intentions uh, to raise our children to become functional, independent adults in our culture. Just like it takes more than love and good intentions to have a good marriage, everybody has those when they walk down a marriage aisle. Uh, it takes better, more than love and good intentions to, to raise uh, our children in, in this day and age. Uh, before we get to our lesson, I always have some, some quotes and some things to ponder. Uh, here's the first interesting quote, number one. And by the way, they're not always serious. Uh, I've learned that if you give a pig and a boy everything they want, you'll get a good pig and a bad boy. Uh, here's another interesting quote. Number two, everybody knows how to raise children, it seems, except the people who have them. And uh, if you've been a parent for very long, you would be amazed at how much everyone else is an expert on what you need to do with your kids. Uh, a couple of things to remember, some thoughts to ponder. Number one, there needs to be at least one person acting like an adult in all situations. Uh, that's supposed to be the parent. <laughs> Uh, number two, mom and dad should provide a united front in public to their children as much as possible. Uh, number three, uh, make your goal to produce a functional, independent adult and then gradually let go of your control so that can happen. Listen, if you want to produce a functional, independent adult and you think you're going to just control everything they do until they walk out of your house, you're not going to produce a functional, independent adult. Um, you know... It's the way it is. Remember, the key question for this, this class, because this class is about parenting by the book and, and minimizing the drama in our house, here's the key question. Does God really know what will produce a better life for my child than I do? And the answer to that is obviously uh, yes. And last week we talked about the most important thing to teach our children, obedience to rightful authority. And despite this being the most important thing to teach, it's also one of the most difficult things to teach because we all have our own issues with with authority. Remember, our obedience starts with God, uh, and then 
God's Word where God delegated His authority because we can't see or hear Him uh, today. And then it goes to the authorities God established where He established it, starting with you as their parents. Remember this simple thing. If we do not teach our children how to obey rightful authority, they will fail in their spiritual life, they will fail in their home, they will fail in the church, they will fail in their school, they will fail in their workplace, and they will fail in society. And I get that it's not the kind of way we normally think about things, but I want to tell you, as we learned last week, uh, it is an incredibly important thing to teach, uh, which gets us to our subject for today, how do I teach my children to obey rightful authority? Uh, if this is the most important thing to teach, then we're going to spend an extra week on how. We're going to spend, next week we'll talk about the second most important thing to teach our children. We'll uh, spend several weeks on discipline. We'll spend several weeks on uh, important character qualities to teach them and how to teach them. But because this is the most important thing to teach, I want to spend some extra time uh, on that. And you should be in your Bible in, in John chapter uh, 13. How do I teach my children to obey uh, rightful authority? Uh, number one, teach them by setting an example of obedience and respect yourself. Uh, John chapter 13, verse 15. Um, John 13, 15. Jesus said, For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Uh, remember, you'll never understand the life of the Lord Jesus unless you understand there are two aspects to it. He was the Son of God, and so at times he behaved and did things like only God could do. We're not going to follow his example when, we, uh, when he opened blind eyes and walked in the water and raised the dead. He was doing things only God could do. But other times he was demonstrating that he was the Son of Man. He was the perfect example of what an individual with faith in God does. Our example, remember, shouts to our children. What we say to them just whispers in their ears. Why should they respect you if you constantly disrespect your good or godly parents? Why should they respect the pastor when their parent doesn't? Why should they respect the police if we don't? Why should they respect their father if their mother doesn't? Why should they respect their coaches or teachers if we don't? See, the way we talk about the pastor, ministry leaders, uh, our parent our spouse, it matters. It's part of our example. The way we talk to school teachers, principals, police, coaches, referees, it matters. It's all part of our example. The way we listen to our pastor, ministry leaders, parents, spouse, uh, police, teachers, principals, it matters. The way we handle this ourselves, it really, really matters. We all want our children to succeed. We have this universal desire as a parent. But if our example, when it comes to respecting and obeying rightful authority, is bad, it really hurts our children. Uh, in 2014, there was a mother in the news, and here's why she got in the news. Uh, her daughter's, she wore at her daughter's graduation the dress that the school sent her daughter home for because it violated the school's dress code. And, hey, what a dumb lady. I mean, how, how arrogant do you have to be 
as a mom of someone who's old enough to be graduating from high school to wear a teenage daughter's dress that was so immodest they kicked her out of school for it. And here's what she said. I didn't see anything wrong with the dress. That's why I let her wear it to school. See, that's a mom who doesn't understand authority. See, when you send your kid to a school and there's a dress code, and as long as that dress code doesn't violate the scriptures, then you just follow it. And what she did subtly is destroy the other authority in her rebellion. And listen, if she wants to let her daughter wear that dress at other times, that's between her and her daughter and her and God. But when you walk into the school, it's not just about you. And remember, our example is clearest and strongest when we disagree with what rightful authority and our, is doing. And our children know that we disagree. Just think about this. As long as we agree with what the rightful authority is doing, we're really not submitting or following, uh, obeying anybody. We're doing what we want to do. Our obedience and submission is not even tested until we disagree. Listen to me. God is going to allow lots of opportunities for you as a parent and rightful authority to disagree. You say, why? Because those are the teachable moments for you and your child. He is going to let you disagree with teachers and coaches and referees and ministry leaders and uh, police and principals, and, and he's going to let that happen on purpose because those are the times when we actually teach our children. Have you ever really thought about that? Maybe this disagreement you would have with one some rightful authority, this is... God providing a teachable moment. And if we're not careful, we'll teach by our example, obey rightful authority until you disagree. And that's not obedience at all. How do I teach my children to obey rightful authority? Number two, make disobedience to rightful authority something you use discipline to enforce. And we'll talk about that later in detail when we get to to discipline. But uh, in your home, at any age, uh, rebellion against rightful authority ought to always bring some kind of sure consequence. And anything short of that hurts them in their life. Uh, go to Acts chapter 24. Number three, how do we teach our children to obey rightful authority? Remember, you've got uh, these children for a long time. Nobody does this perfectly. If God wanted perfect parents, he'd had angels raise our kids. Uh, God knew we wouldn't be perfect. He knew we would struggle. He knew our example would not always be great. But you know what? Uh, he does expect us to have our basic example be right. Uh, how can I teach my children obedience to rightful authority? Number three. Teach them the ultimate authority is always God, uh, as represented by his word. In Acts chapter 24, Paul makes an interesting statement. He's on trial before the Roman governor Felix in verse 14. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Paul says here, But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, 
that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Let me ask you a question. What did the Jewish religious, what did the Jewish religious leaders call Paul's faith? According to verse 14. What did they call it? They called what he was doing heresy. Um, but Paul, even though they called what he did heresy, believed the scriptures. He believed everything in them. And people blame God for lots of things. Uh, I mean, when I was a youth leader, I, I mean, I couldn't tell you how many times some teenager came up and told me, I think God wants me to break up with such and so. Always just ho- so happened that there was another person interested in them. Uh, I, I mean, incredible. I know one guy, uh, he literally, uh, it was on the second or third story, I don't remember in, anymore, and he said that God told him to jump out the window. And he injured himself badly, was handicapped for the rest of his life. God didn't tell him to jump out that window. And by, by and large, uh, God didn't tell most of those teenagers to, to break up with that person. Um, people blame God for all kinds of things. If you really want to know what God is doing, you, you, you've got to know God's word. Um, you can see this in an example of this. Uh, chapter 23 of Acts. Again, Paul... Here he's before the Jewish council, and it says, Paul, in verse 1, earnestly beholding the council, he said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. High priest Ananias commanded them that stood by to smite him in the mouth. Verse 3, then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. They that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, Ah, oh, I wish not, brethren, that he was a high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. By the way, I think the scriptures teach Paul had eye problems. I think that was his thorn in the flesh. And here, this person that commanded him to be smacked in the face, he didn't even know who said it. And so he kind of lashed back, said, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. And then they said, Well, it's God's high priest. And he, he quotes the Bible, says, Wow. I shouldn't have done that because I'm not supposed to speak like that about an authority God established. Uh, Teach your children the ultimate authority as God is represented by his word. Listen, no human authority has the right to override the source of their authority. Pastors, parents, husbands, government officials, bosses, they only have authority in their area because God gave it to them. By the way, it was understanding this principle that motivated our forefathers to throw off the chains of England back in the Revolution. They believed that uh, freedom and the right to pursue happiness, that that was not the gift of governments and kings. They believed that that was the gift of God. And so because they believed that England it was ref, uh, you know, basically keeping them from something God had given them, they stood against that and, and fought that. Um, listen, you need to let your children see the importance of God's word in your life. You know, everybody talks about God. Everybody talks about God. Everybody blames things on God. They need to see how important God's word is to you. Uh, they need to see you treat your Bible with respect. I mean, do you put it on the bottom of a, a pile of stuff? or do, you, do they watch you make effort to have it on the top of every pa- pile? Do they see you privately read it so they know it's important to you? 
Do they see you turn its pages and follow along in classes like this and in church? Do they see you talk about what it says when you're making decisions in the house? Uh, We're doing this because this principle from the Word of God. Uh, Listen, this is the only way they're going to really know God is God's Word. Again, everybody blames God for everything, and and two contrary things cannot be both true. Uh, Let them see you modify your behavior because of the Scriptures. Let them see you come to the altar and pray from time to time when God speaks speaks to you. Let your children see you sacrifice and to obey what God has taught you to do. This is how we teach them the importance of this. By the way, tell them, hey, if I ever disobey uh, the Word of God, follow the Word of God, not me. By the way, if you've been in this church any length of time, you've heard me say that multiple times. If I tell you to do something contrary to the Word of God, follow the Word of God. Don't follow me. My authority as a pastor comes from this book. I have no authority to contradict this book. Neither does anybody else. And I just remind you before we move on, our submission to rightful authority is clearest when we disagree with that authority. By the way, you're not going to live very long before you disagree with God's authority. I don't like the way God handled this person. I don't like the way this person died. I don't like this person. Listen, disagreeing with rightful authority, that, that is a part of life. And when it, when it comes to God, we just, by faith, say, you know what, God, I don't understand, I don't agree, but I trust you. And it's no surprise that with human authorities, we are going to have the same issues. And God knew that would happen, delegated authority to him anyway, but make sure that They understand the ultimate authority is God represented by his word. Uh, Teach them to do what to do when two legitimate authorities disagree. Go back to Acts 5. What do you do when a teacher and you disagree? What do you do when a coach and you disagree? Would it matter if the issue is in your home or on the ball field? See, see, these issues are really not as hard as we make them. It's just that we really don't want to think about them. Teach them what to do and two ultimate authorities disagree. Two legitimate authorities disagree. Uh, in Acts chapter 5, verse 27, this happens here. It says, and when they had brought them, that's the apostles, uh, they set them down before the council. The high priest asked them, did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? Behold, you've filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Here it is. And Peter said, and the other apostles and answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. You ought to underline and highlight that in your Bible. That is a life principle. By the way, most of the time, rightful authorities are not disobeying God. Now, it does happen, and we should obey God. But most of the time, that's not what happens. Listen, God is the highest authority in every situation. This is the protection 
that you give your children as parents when you're teaching them to obey rightful authority. No rightful authority has the authority to disobey God. This is how you protect them from bad teachers and bad authorities in the church and and bad authority in any area of their life. Nobody disobeys God. Your boss tells you to do something illegal. What should you do? Obey God, not the boss. Anybody, Anybody beside me been in a work situation where they ask you to do something illegal? I have too. Uh, I'm surprised there's not more of you. I, I really am. It's shocking to me, actually. You know, they asked me to do something illegal. What, what did you do? First off, I was very scared. And second off, I was polite. And thirdly, I, I said, I'm not going to do that. Why? You obey God rather than men. See, what this really means is you and I need to learn what the Word of God says. (laughs) Otherwise, we will not know when leaders are using their authority rightly or wrongly. Um, By the way, there's a difference in what the Word of God says and traditions and culture. By the way, not all traditions are bad. I think here we all understand that when the Word of God contradicts a tradition, we should keep the Word of God. If our Word of God, if the Word of God contradicts a culture, we should keep the Word of God. But understand, not all traditions are bad. In fact, I suggest that uh, you and your family have some of them. It's what makes our homes unique and special. Um, for instance, in our house growing up, uh, our tradition was that no one was allowed to sleep past 8.30 on a weekday and 9 o'clock on a weekend or a holiday. The biblical principles be diligent. Um, by the way, I'm talking when our kids were 2 and 3. Say, so why? Because diligence is an incredible life skill. There's people in here this morning, and you struggle to get up to an alarm, and it's been like that all your life, and it started when your parents didn't make you get out of bed. It's a tradition, though. The Bible doesn't say get up at 8.30. Uh, we had a tradition in my house uh, when our kids were, were growing up. No one's allowed to turn a TV on before church on Sunday morning. But the Bible principle is, hey, Sunday's the Lord's Day. Church is important. We just set that aside. But that's a tradition. It's important that we and our children know the difference. Traditions are not bad, but we need to know the difference. For instance, in our house... Uh, whenever there was any conflict, who was going to sit in the front? Who went first? We had three boys. The first thing they did is they play odd man. All right, and so somebody's out. Somebody was the odd man. And you get down to two guys, and then it was paper, rock, scissors. And you know what? By the time, literally, by the time they were five, six, seven years old, you know, most if there was any questions, you didn't even have to say anything. You hear them over that? <sighs> The Bible principle, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. And, I mean, there's nothing biblical about um, playing paper, rocks, and scissors. There is something very biblical, though, about the principle of living peaceably. Pick a tradition. Uh, On Christmas, 
uh, whenever we celebrated Christmas. And in our case, because I'm in the ministry, because we don't have any family in town, our family was uh, either in Toledo or Michigan. Uh, I mean, we very rarely uh, celebrated Christmas on Christmas morning, but we always did the same thing. We had our Christmas traditions. Our Christmas tradition was that uh, no one opened their gift until A, we read the Christmas story and we went around the room taking turns reading and it was a big deal when somebody got old enough to read well enough to be able to take their turn reading and we went around the room and, and everybody prayed. You say, Brother Wally, don't you know that their hearts are on the gifts the whole time? Yeah, that's okay. They're just kids. But, but that's not in the Bible. That was a family tradition. Listen, traditions are great. Have them, but understand what's tradition and what's in the Bible. And tradition should never be above the the Scripture. They make our homes stable. They make them unique. Uh, Same thing with cultural practices. Now, in our culture, it is a common idea to think that anything that is someone's cultural practice is therefore good. That's a false premise. In any culture, whether it's American culture or European culture or African culture or you name it, any kind of culture, it all stacks up against the Word of God. I mean, how does, you know, wearing bright colors and carrying something on your head, how does that compare to Scripture? How does a man wearing a kilt playing a bagpipe, I mean, how does that compare to Scripture? How does wearing green and pouring green dye and everything you're drinking, how does it compare? Do you see what I'm saying? Everything, if we're going to protect ourselves and protect our children, it should compare to Scripture. And we need to learn what it says and what it doesn't say because we should not have any loyalty to anything or anyone above our loyalty to God and His Word. And we need to teach our children that for their own good. Number five, how do I teach my children? to obey rightful authority. Number five, establish yourself as the parents strongly as the rightful authority in your home. Don't wait till they're older. Start as soon... I have people ask me all the time, when do, when do I start discipline? Here's when you start discipline. As soon as you recognize it is their will defying your will. That's when to start. And when it is a battle of wills in your home, never lose that battle. By by the way, by never, I mean never. From the time your child is an infant, they ought to understand, no matter how hard I fight, no matter how long I do this, my dad is not going to change his mind. Period. I'm going to tell you what, you do that, when your children are really, really young, number one, it's going to leave you exhausted at times. Number two, it's going to put you in tears at times. I'm not a crier. I'm not emotionally wired that way. I didn't say I, I don't have a heart for what goes on because I do. I'm, I'm just not a crier. Uh, our oldest son was a really tough kid to raise. And I remember battles with him when he was really young. I'm talking less than young that lasted a couple of hours See, what'd you do? I just stayed in there and fought. I, I, a couple of times he had me in tears. I didn't do it in front of him. But he was incredibly strong-willed. Um, establish yourselves as the parents very strongly as a rightful authority in your home. 
Whenever there's a battle between your will and theirs, never lose that battle. And if you are in your own mind, you're actually losing, make sure you lose in a way that they don't figure out that <laughs> they won. <laughs> it's very important for their future. Listen, if your children are running your house instead of you, you're headed for major problems when they're older. I'm amazed in, at a lot of things, but I'm amazed that parents demand obedience in things like dental care, medical things. I mean, what parent here, if your kid says, well, I don't want to brush my teeth, I don't want to go to the dentist, and you're going to say, oh, okay. You know, I mean, there's no parent wants their kid to have Mountain Dew mouth. Or, or, or your child, they're sick, and you know they need to go to the doctor, and, and, and you say, well, I'm going to take you to the doctor. No, I don't want to do that. Oh, okay. And, and yet, they don't know what's best for them to eat or drink. They don't know what's best for them spiritually. They don't know what's best for them academically or socially or morally. They don't know what it's best for them when it comes to their bedtime, their work ethic, their clothing, and all kinds of areas of life. And we lose sight of the fact that God placed you there as their parent because they need you to teach them these things. And the longer you wait for them to figure out that you're the boss in the house, the harder you make it on yourself. Listen, they will probably not recognize how much they needed you for years. And from the ages of about 12 to 18, they will think they don't need you. But the fact of the matter is, is they really still need you greatly. They just don't understand it. And so establish yourself as this rightful authority very young. And then as time goes on, gradually turn this authority over to them and other rightful authorities because that's what it takes to be a functional adult. If you're an adult and you're still obeying your, your, your parents, you're not a functional independent adult yet. A functional independent adult does not live with their parents. A functional independent adult uh, lives, they provide for themselves, they make their own schedule, they still honor their parents. They're functional human beings. That's our goal. I get that in our culture that probably a lot of times doesn't occur to 22, 23, 25 years old. That's, that's fine. Uh, I'm just saying that's our goal. Which gets us to number six. Go to Luke chapter 2. And we'll finish up with this. I said establish yourself as a parent really strongly as the rightful authority in your home. Do this while they are young. And lastly, number six, set up other specific people as positive authorities for your children. Uh, in Luke chapter 2, Jesus is 12 years old here. And... Uh, his parents, in verse 41, they went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. By the way, uh, Joseph uh, is called the parent of Jesus, but he wasn't G Jesus' father. And I want you to just put that in your mind, in, in your thinking, because in our culture, you know, um, our thinking isn't like that. But God called Joseph uh, Jesus' parent. Verse 46 came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all uh, that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. 
When they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I uh, have sought thee sorrow. Interesting that Mary called Joseph his father. He was his stepfather, but that's the way they viewed parenting. Verse 49. He said unto them, How is it that ye sought me, wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them, and went down with them and came to Nazareth, and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in your hearts. Did you see that phrase in verse 51? He was subject unto them. I, I want you to I mean, think about this for a second. Jesus was the son of God. God was his father. I mean, that means his, uh, his father, God, God, was right 100% of the time. And so was Jesus. And, and yet here he is as a 12-year-old boy. He's asking questions and getting answers from these doctors in, in the temple. Let me ask you a question. Do you suppose they were right 100% of the time? Remember, these are Pharisees and Sadducees. And yet God the Father somehow was okay with his son sorting through that. And then he went home and he was subject to his parents. By the way, he was perfect and his parents weren't. You know, if other authorities were good enough for the Son of God, maybe as parents it's really unwise for us to decide that we're the only authority they ever need. Now I get that in many public school settings they're trying to take authority away from parents, but understand this, that in some homeschool literature they're trying to tell you that the only authority your child needs is you as their parent because you love them most. Now, you should love them most, but listen, you're not the only authority they need. You're the primary authority in their life while they're a child. That's the way God handled his own son. It's very wise and a bit proud to think you know more than everything, than everyone on every subject. Um, when we were raising our boys, we always had other people we pointed them to. Uh, there were adults in the church. We would always say, Don't, hey, you know, such and so, they're a really good person. Well, you know what? They're a really committed Christian. By the way, we even did that with some older teenagers too. On purpose. Because as much as you don't want to admit it, if your children are still young, there are going to come days when your children are not going to want to listen to you. By the way, that is a normal process for children becoming a functional adult. Almost every kid goes through a phase when they don't listen to their parents like they should. And what I wanted and what Sharon and I wanted in our children's life is that when our boys got to those places, that there were people that we had set up who would basically tell them what we wanted them to hear. And we always prayed that God would raise up people who would be there when they wouldn't listen to us. By, by the way, that's a hard thing because it's hard on our ego for our children to go to someone other than us. I, I know from personal experience. And you've got to step back and say, do you know what, I'm glad they're going to somebody who's going to tell them something I would like them to hear. Because in the end, our parenting really isn't about us, it's about our kids. I remember a, a lady, this was years ago, and uh, we had a teen section, and... Uh, her daughter had horsed around and talked through the whole service. She was probably maybe 13 at the time. And after the service, I went to that little girl privately. I didn't do it publicly. I said, you know, 
uh, I saw I saw you were horsing around the whole service, and you didn't pay any attention. You know, just please don't do that anymore. Well, I don't know if her mom saw me talking to her, or she went to her mom and said that I had corrected her. But that mom privately came to me, and she says, "I don't want you correcting my child anymore. Uh, if you have any problems with her, you tell me, and I'll correct her." I said, "Okay." By the way, I was a youth leader. I didn't have any authority in the church but what the pastor gave me. I didn't have any authority over a child but what the parent gave me. I thought to myself, that's a really dumb way to parent. But she's a parent. You know what? And it was sad, but it was not surprising. That little girl got a couple of years older. She began to treat other authorities like her mom I'm sorry, she began to treat her mother like her mother had treated other authorities as she was raising her. And sadly, that girl, I mean, really, just badly, badly, badly messed up her life. It's sad. And a part of that is her mom didn't handle rightful authority well in her life. Listen, I I get that it's a hard thing to do, and, and I get that there's a measure of risk we feel like we're the only trustworthy people in our kid's life, and, and we ought to be the most trustworthy people in our kid's life. But anyway, we're very, very wise to set up these other authorities, talk well of their teachers, the police, the principals, their pastor, uh, teachers, uh, ministry leaders, other godly people. Do that for their sake, and it'll really help them. Next week, Lord willing... We'll talk about the second most important thing to teach our children. Should have a yellow piece of paper, write something on it, write a question of some sort or a comment of some sort. Uh, just put them up in a pile. And if you have the uh, surveys from last week that you filled out, please uh, fill those out and just set them up here with them. Um, thank you. You're dismissed.